So I think there's a lot of interesting new innovations coming out around like the subscription management suite. The software is available for managing, billing, managing physical products that are shipping to you, bundling, all sorts of things along those lines. So it can really be customized. Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is a special guest. We have John Sherwin, who is the co-founder of Hydrant. John, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, let's just dive right in here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Hydrant, uh, what the business is, and then tell us about yourself, too, and your background. Yeah, so I'll start with Hydrant. Hydrant is a wellness company. We make powdered drink mixes that you mix in water. Our original product was a rapid hydration mix. Tastes great, very simple ingredients, allows you to hydrate faster than water alone. And since then we've added an energy product, an immunity product, and most recently a sleep product, which is already getting some incredible feedback. So we really are kind of thinking about ourselves as a a wellness operating system for humans. I'm sure we can get into that. Down the road. Yeah, that, that's absolutely. The, I'm interested to hear more about that. <laughs> that's the, uh, the background for the company. And then for me and kind of how I got to this, I have a science background. I studied biology at Oxford in the UK. Um, from there, moved to the Bay Area to work in startups and effectively just learn as much as I could, as fast as I could about building businesses. It was in the software world, making tools for scientists, learned a ton very quickly decided I wanted to kind of break away and start my own thing and spent some time figuring out where I wanted to focus my energies and realized I'd been trying to sort of solve this hydration problem for a long time for myself, but I'd never looked at it as a business opportunity until this moment in time. So that was back in, um, I want to say 2017. So we've been at it for a good four years now. Well, I've been at it a good four years. We, We kind of talk about the company as having launched really in late summer of 2018, which is when my co-founder joined. And we went from being a, a sort of one-man band with a very basic brand and product and website to, to a pretty legit operation. And I will just tell this one story about my co-founder because I think it's badass. He uh, dropped out of Wharton's MBA program, took his tuition money out and invested it into the company. And that was our sort of seed capital. So it was a pretty cool starting moment for us to, to start to grow. Well, that's a belief moment right there in the business for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he also is probably the power user. I think he drinks nine sticks of our product a day. And I'm not <laughs> exaggerating, not even a little bit. Wow. So what is it about hydration in particular that was interesting to you? So I think it was, to me, I, I'm, an, I'm an efficacy guy, a function first person. And I was experiencing this kind of general fatigue in college and then even after college in, in the workplace. and tried everything. I tried caffeine and very quickly you end up with a sort of mild addiction and that spirals. I tried drinking a ton of water and really that just becomes inefficient because you end up running to the bathroom all the time (laughs) and it's kind of boring as well. And, you know, I I started reading up on the science behind hydration and, and learning about how it's more about fluid balance in the body than just like drinking as much water as you can and the importance of electrolytes in that balance kind of process. And so I noticed there were these medical students at university with me who were drinking a very clinical looking packet of salt, basically, with their water. I tried it. It was disgusting, but (laughs) it was incredibly effective. 
And so I started just grabbing everything off supermarket shelves that I could to, to try it. So, you know, the sports drinks, coconut waters, powders, you name it. If it had the word hydration or electrolytes anywhere on it, I would buy it. I would test it. And basically what it came down to was there were no products on the market that tasted good, were effective and weren't full of sugar. That was the sort of the main criteria. And I, you know, after some years of struggling with this and trying to find a product that, that fulfilled all of those criteria, I decided I'd make it. And, and that was a mission my co-founder believed in. And since then, we've gone on to kind of move from being hydration only to this sort of wellness operating system that I spoke about. Okay. So the, the product line that you talked about there, four or five current products, you're looking to expand that into more and more kind of that wellness lifestyle product business, I guess? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think like the way I'm currently thinking about it, and that there's always a little bit of evolution on the product roadmap is, you know, we, we really strive to provide a product to our customers that can make them feel better, whatever state they're currently in. So, you know, it may be that you're over energized. Maybe you want something to bring you down a notch. Maybe you're feeling low on energy and you need something to bring you up a notch. Um, we, we really want to have a product for you in, in all of those use cases. That said, it's not the kind of thing where we just want to churn out millions and millions of products before we really have buy-in from our existing customers. Like they need to come to trust that we are making good product decisions for all of these different functions beyond hydration. Gotcha. So what, what was the impetus for, okay, I, I can solve this problem or, you know, you, you talked about the three things that were necessary to the product that's not currently out in the market. You created the product. What made you decide to start a business and go direct to consumer rather than looking for, you know, the traditional distribution go into, you know, every grocery store across the, across the country? Yeah. So I, I guess uh, I had a family member who had worked on a direct consumer business themselves. So I had like some, I had an osmos some knowledge just from listening into their conversations. So that was part one. Part two, I, I spoke to some kind of informal advisors in New York City about the idea. They were from the CPG world and they pointed out, A, I have no background in food and beverage. And B, <laughs> if you make the product in liquid form, you have to play the distribution game where there are gatekeepers. The beauty of direct consumer is there's no gatekeeper. As long as you can get, up, get your website up and running and like put your marketing out into the world, people can come and find you and, and choose to buy your product. So, you know, going to that powder format really seemed like it gave us the ability to get around any possible gatekeeping and, and get the product to as many people as fast as possible. Interesting. So I, I took a look at the website with drinkhydrant.com, right? And noticed that you guys are in the hybrid model. So being able to offer the product on a subscription basis and one-off purchase as well. So talk through that strategy. Was that was that the strategy from the beginning to, to offer it through those two models? And how did you get to subscription? Yeah. So it's an interesting initial story. So So back when it was just me, I had built the website. I knew that the product made sense on subscription, but I'm not the sort of customer who typically goes for a subscription. So I made it an option, but it defaulted to the one-time purchase. And this was an example of me as like an early stage founder with no experience thinking, hmm, most people probably think like me and will want the one-time purchase option to be the default. Very quickly after joining, my co-founder was like, hey, how come that's the default? Like, like I would always subscribe and that's probably a better business choice for us. Why don't we make that the default? I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> and that's what we did. And it's been that way ever since. But yeah, from day one, I think like the product lends itself and, and the way that we position the product really lends itself well to a subscription product where we're not saying, hey, drink this after a workout or drink this 
when you're hungover or anything like that, this is really proactive hydration. It's a daily kind of habit that supports your day-to-day -day wellness. The majority of our customers are drinking this first thing in the morning, or at least for our core skew, they're drinking it first thing in the morning. Well, I, I am your target customer. I am one who knows they need to drink a lot more water than they do, but hate drinking water. I can't stand it. You know, I constantly go into the bathroom and even remembering to drink water, right? It's 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 hard to do. So I, I guess what what is your your target market? Obviously you're direct to consumer, right? So your people are gonna come and find you online. So number one, what what online channels are you using? You know, social, paid search, search optimization. What are the different ways that you're trying to market that product and who really is your target consumer? So I'll, if it's all right with you, I'll take the second part first and then get to the first part. So in terms of the target consumer, I'd say we're, we're blessed and cursed in one way. We have a very broad target demographic. Our product is simple and fairly mass appeal. And I would say, looking back, we never really targeted a single niche. Like there are, there are products similar to ours that maybe like are specific to athletes or specific, even, even tighter to like CrossFit athletes or something like that where you begin to get that referral effect. And, and that honestly was never our approach. We went pretty early to social media paid acquisition and algorithmically found our way to various audiences who are particularly interested in our, our brand and product proposition. So a focus on efficacy, clean taste, and simple ingredients. And, and, and that remains today still one of our main acquisition channels going through paid social. We've certainly explored search. I think what most people in our space would find is that hydration search terms are relatively low intent. Usually like if you're dehydrated and searching, you're going to find yourself running to a grocery store or like to the nearest place. You're not ordering something that's going to come in a couple of days or, or, or even the next day, even it's a, something you want to solve really quickly. So we, we've, we've dabbled in that. We've dabbled in influencer as well. And, you know, I'd say those areas we're still trying to master and learn. That the biggest shift for our business currently is that we're moving from being primarily direct consumer. We've, we've opened a number of retail accounts towards the, the back half of 2020. We're, we're now nationwide in Walmart. And that brings with it a whole new kind of landscape where, you know, if we're running paid media uh, or, or paid social ads, how much do we catch people when they're in Walmart, for example, versus if we're running influencer marketing, you know, how much are we attributing coming through on our website versus a lift on, let's say, Amazon or a Walmart. And so those are the kinds of problems that we're thinking through on the acquisition side now. It's very easy to spend those marketing dollars. And you know that some of them are effective, <laughs> right? It just can be really hard to know which ones are working, especially when you're talking about omni-channel marketing, right? So what data, what inputs are you guys using to build that algorithm that tells you, okay, it's better for us to focus our resources over here? You mean between the, between the channels specifically? Yeah, uh, the, the channels or maybe even getting down to a segment of consumers who's more likely to buy, right? Whether that is the athlete or whether that is, you know, what, whatever group it yeah. is. So I think very early on, we, we did, um, there's a word for it that's immediately escaping me. And the, the guy whose agency helped us run this test, basically like a multivariate test where we tested various value props with various audiences to try and just like verify our hypotheses around how we position the business. And that helped us to identify areas of opportunity, both in terms of audiences and in terms of use cases for the product. Where sort of, again, this comes back to that blessing and a curse. There are a lot of different use cases for our product. And we've decided to focus on this routine oriented one, which does lend itself well to subscription. The way we chose that was based on 
you know, how quickly are people repeating and, you know, how long are they staying around? Really, that's what it comes down to. And of course, how much does it cost to acquire the customer? Which value prop is getting them to click through, make the purchase, and then which ones are they sticking around for? And, you know, I, I can I can tell you, like, for example, we tried playing around with the after drinking it after alcohol consumption, which is one use case that, you know, a lot of people drink electrolytes for. But very quickly, we we realized that the ritualistic nature is just not there. You forget to drink it. You're not drinking. Turns out those people don't plan ahead. Don't plan right? ahead. They also <laughs> probably, thankfully, aren't drinking it every day. And so, you know, we, we could look at these metrics on, on the back end and just see very clearly, okay, like this cohort of customers is doing better. Plus, from the brand side, you don't want to be in that, in that space. In, in my humble opinion, I think it's very difficult to build a brand around a moment in time where most people feel some, some sense of guilt. You know, we have customers who use the product for that and, you know, power to them. But it's just not the area where we want to, like, focus most of our resources. So you talk about the product being initially one off and then you offered your you offered subscription and then now you've defaulted to subscription. What is that mix looking like these days? Are you seeing people really uptaking on the subscription model and wanting it to come on a on a recurring basis? Are they trying it one off and then signing up for subscription? What are you seeing? Yeah, so 50% of our revenue comes from our subscription channel versus the one-time purchase. So so it's pretty meaningful. And I think the jury's still out on this, and, and I'm sure, you know, in your line of work, you've heard lots of different sides of it. It seems like there are just some types of customers who don't want to subscribe to things. They, they want to maintain control completely, and, and I think I typically do fall into that category myself, so I, I can relate. However, there are other customers who want the ease of it, you know, and, and what's important is building that trust before the first purchase that, hey, like, we're not going to do some shady practice where it's really difficult to cancel and where we're going to hide it and you're going to, we're going to make you call someone or even worse, we'll just bill you without checking with you. So like from day one, we, we've invested heavily, like CX is in-house and you know, we make sure people, even if you're having a negative experience for some reason, like let's say you didn't see the email we send that says, Hey, your upcoming order is going to charge in three days. Like, would you like to delay? Or if they haven't seen that and the bill comes through, those people have a terrible experience. And so like we make sure when they do come in, they leave as happy as possible and like and hope that they understand hey you know this was certainly not the intention here it does happen unfortunately but so yeah the question you asked was specifically how, how do people fall so we're about 50 50 on a revenue basis and, and always looking for ways to build the subscription segment it is just like such an engine for the business well it, it's interesting and you hit on a couple of things right there already so subscription i've been in, in it for 20 years and in a lot of ways back in the day subscription had a bad name because lots of organizations were putting a lot of effort into signing people up and then hoping they'd never use the product right it was hey it's all about low usage set it and forget it you know reap as much revenue as we can in a short period of time and in the past i would call it roughly five years subscription has migrated towards engagement right constant interaction with that consumer, delivering value. And that's the key to longevity and subscription, which isn't all that surprising considering competition, right? There's all kinds of subscription companies. It's easy to start one now. So you really have to differentiate. And one of those ways you can do that is through taking care of the customer, as you were just talking about. So in situations where that customer is unhappy, didn't see the email or just didn't click it in time to cancel their order. What are different ways you guys are trying to make customers happy? Maybe someone's coming in and wanting to cancel and what different tactics are you employing there to try and keep those harder end customers? I, I guess it, it depends how they, how they get through. So, so we have a, you know, if you want to cancel anytime, you can log into our portal, hit the cancel button. We do ask you for a reason. You don't have to provide one, but if you do provide a reason, 
typically will follow up with specific information based on your reason for cancellation. So if you tell me you canceled because you didn't like the taste, you know, we're in a business that involves taste. And so it's subjective. You're always going to get people who don't like the taste. And in that scenario, what we've done on our end is like categorize our products by different flavor profiles. And if someone doesn't like one, we can usually predict, okay, the likelihood is if they don't like, let's say our orange caffeine product, assuming they're interested in hydration without the caffeine, I think we can probably offer them this raspberry lemonade flavor or something like that to try and like give them another option. So that, that would be one example of, of trying to, I think the term is resurrect the customer after a cancellation. There are various things we'll do to try and like avoid them hitting cancel in the first place. I, I don't know that we're doing anything particularly special there. It's like, if you were to, let's say you pick that taste one, I guess I skipped a step there. If you were to say, hey, I'm canceling because I don't like the taste, we might offer you that switch before you hit cancel. And then if you don't hit cancel, there might be a follow-up as well. Just like, hey, just checking. But as um, again, I'm sure you know, you're in the, in the subscription business. I have too much product is, I think, across all companies that are in the physical product subscription space. That's the main reason for, for cancellation. In those scenarios, you know, we are constantly trying to get people to delay or skip their orders. Currently, we're using a sort of delay button versus a skip button and having them set the date for their next shipment. We currently don't support a pause feature. And I think that's just a, a, a based on the software that we use to run our subscription portal. I think pause is an interesting one, right? Because effectively, a pause subscription is a canceled subscription, or at least that, that's how I'm thinking about it in this, in this particular moment. I, I do think that what we've found in growing in the subscription space is that a lot of people are measuring things differently. And some people might say a pause subscription is an active subscriber for example, in reporting some of their metrics, which I think is kind of a strange concept because the point of a subscription is that the, like, the default is product is coming on a specific date. And a canceled subscription means it's not coming and you can like repurchase and start it again. A pause is like, yes, it's some sort of slightly middling state, but I, I don't think it's all that different to a cancellation. Yeah, so picking up there you've got these different tactics in place and you know to to hold on to those those hard-earned customers what what are you looking at as kind of the next evolution in terms of where we go with customer engagement you talked about expanding the product line right being this this wellness brand is it focus on more product innovation is it focus on different ways to reach cu customers you talked about doing retail as well with walmart where do you see yourself kind of focusing to take yourself up a level I think it's a bit of both, really. So, so I think there is value in providing the, so th this operating system, but going from being a product company, like a single product company, which is how we started, of course, to saying, hey, like we, we have a number of different products available that represent a sort of suite of things you can choose from throughout the day. So I think product innovation is absolutely one of the key legs there. And then being where people are. So you know, we didn't go the retail route initially, but very quickly, you can see the power of it once you open a few doors and start experiencing, I guess, huge POs coming in <laughs> in a way that you're not used to when you're, you're running a software business, uh, not a software, a direct consumer business. So it, it certainly has been eye-opening for us. And, and we realize that we're reaching customers who previously, you know, we may not have ever touched with our paid social ads. So that that's kind of one part of it. I, I do think that making like specific to the subscription experience i think there's a lot of interesting new innovations coming out around like the subscription management suite and, and like the the software's available for for managing billing managing physical products that are shipping to you 
bundling, all sorts of things along those lines. So it can really be customized to each user or consumer's uh, tastes. And that's something we're exploring actively to try and make sure like we're not fitting customers into like the system just because that's how the system is. We're trying to make the system fit the customers and the needs that they have, which in turn will lead to happier customers, more engagement, happier business, so on and so forth. Well, that is that is music to my ears because we find that, especially with startups, they find themselves boxed in all the time, right? You're you're when you're in startup mode, you're all about getting new customers into the top of the funnel and and you know growing your business, seeing if you even have a business, and you might make short term decisions, right, to get up and running quickly. But unfortunately, as you scale and you are in that mode right now of hey, we got a business and we're moving it up to the next level. You may have been boxed in by decisions that you made in the past, but want to be more flexible with, to your point, making the, con- the product fit the consumer rather than somehow making the back end fit the product that fits the consumer, right? Yeah, it becomes very, I mean, there's definitely some technical debt there when you're trying to like code your own version on top of another system to, to work for the consumer. It's, it's, it's tricky, but we've managed so far. I, I just think that certainly, so we're, we're on this platform called Shopify. They recently opened up their checkout API, which is like creating a whole world of, of competition in that space, which means, you know, innovation is coming. And so we're, we're just, you know, going in wide-eyed, hoping to, to learn as much as we can and make sure that we're able to provide that great experience. Yeah. Well, on that note, talk about some of the things that you use to evaluate technology decisions, right? Whether that's a vendor that you're going to go out and source a solution versus go it alone and kind of build it internally. What what criteria do you use? What's important to you and your core business versus things that make sense to outsource? So we don't have any in-house devs. I think that that's like the important starting point. So the more out of the box the solution is, the more initially interested we are, with the caveat being like if there's a clear sort of breaking point, that means where it's only going to last for you know six months of growth. Uh, and then it's going to break and we're going to have to have not only to pay for a developer to build something that scales, but also the switching cost that that's, that's not going to fit. So we think a lot about switching costs and also the pricing model. You know, I, I've seen some with this, this landscape that Shopify realistically has created where, you know, they have various APIs. There are a lot of tools that do almost the same thing. Pricing innovation can really be an area that makes the difference between us being interested in it or not. So like, does it scale linearly with our growth? Are there steps? Are we having to sign up for an annual contract? Are we able to like pay as you go effectively? Like all of those types of criteria are interesting to us. But I would say what I like personally, and, and this maybe is not the most satisfying answer, it's fairly qualitative, but when I get a demo of the product for it to just feel like the person who made it understands the types of problems we're trying to solve, often there's a sort of aha moment. And very quickly, I can be like, oh, okay, like I totally see where this is going. These people seem to understand what we're trying to build here. And of course, you know, there are further questions and analysis of the pricing model and such, but that's always a good starting point. Yeah, those things absolutely matter, but you want to feel like, you know, you're getting a partner in your business, right? That that cares more about your problem than selling their software or their solution or whatever that is. Um, so I, I've done I've done actually a, a number of sessions at various conferences around RFPs, how to run them when you're whether procuring technology or partners and things like that. And I call it speed dating because in a very short period of time, you're asking a whole lot of questions and deciding who you're going to make a long term commitment to. Because to your point, switching costs are extremely high and um, it can be painful and you don't want to have to do that if you don't need to. You know, you're looking for somebody in the long run. So it, 
I like the points you were hitting on there, but you know, one to look out for is certainly, are they asking you questions as much as you're asking them questions, right? Yeah, that's a, a nice way of putting it. Absolutely. Talk, talk for a second about the impact of COVID in the past year and a half of being you know, an online company. We see so many subscription companies that are selling online have grown through the pandemic because people want to shop online for obvious reasons. How has that impacted your business? And have you guys pivoted in any way in terms of the offering as a result of that? I would say kind of remarkably little impact on us. We're very lucky in that regard. Obviously, as a primarily online business, we were well positioned to take advantage of it. So I would say, you know, our growth curve, it wasn't like we hit an inflection point because of COVID. We just kind of continued to chug along. We were growing before, we're still growing. I think the main impact was really on the retail side where some of the category review dates, and again, like this comes back to this idea of like, we're not necessarily the masters of our own destiny in the retail channel because, you know, the retailer suddenly was like, look, we, we are focused on water and food. And we're not going to even look at your category for six months. Uh, come back in six months and we'll, and we'll chat. So that was really the biggest impact is we you know, did not book some revenue that we expected to book through retail. But I think because of the growth online, as well as on Amazon, it really sort of made up for, for that slowdown in the IRL space. So yeah, I, I mean, COVID in, in that regard, I, I would say the biggest impact for us was really like as a team, how we work. And you know, everyone's experiencing that to some extent now. But again, we're pretty lucky to, to have all these software tools that allow us to continue to manage the business in a manner that is pretty painless. Now that you're certainly growing and, and diversified, something I like to ask a lot is just, OK, now your, your data, information about your business is sitting in a whole lot of places, right? You've got your systems, you've got third party systems. Now you've got retail data that's going to be coming at you from distributors and third parties. How are you gathering all of that together in order to give you insights into kind of where things are at and where they're going? It's a great question. And actually, it reminds me that I should have said that's part of the evaluation criteria for the software tools that we use. We, we want to make sure that we're able to A, get high quality data out of them and B, like connect it with data from other places. So, so we in the past had a data warehousing tool where, which, which pulled in data from the various different sources that we had. It didn't pull retail data. That's like kind of separated out to some extent. However, we are in the process of moving to an even more advanced data warehouse system where we're like piping in sort of retention data, acquisition data, kind of more like a, a, a true CRM for each of our customers so that we're able to kind of identify areas where we're falling short. So it may be, you know, retention opportunities. It may be product opportunities. We're, we're pulling in literally everything, every possible tool, reviews. We're pulling in CX tickets. We're like, making that match with emails and Facebook so that we can see what's resonating and what's not and how we can be doing a better job to, to solve problems for customers. I don't think as of yet, there's been a, a way to merge the retail data with that. Certainly not in a sort of programmatic way, but we have a team of, of fantastic Excel users uh, of which I am not one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> my team does a fantastic job of, of manually doing that side of things. I was going to ask as a baseline, were you guys spreadsheet based before you got to this data warehouse type solution? Yeah, we were. So I, I mean, I think we got pretty far. It wasn't quite an off the shelf solution, but it, it was a sort of Google Sheets. It was a tool that like pulled in data from various sources, had some like proprietary algorithms behind the scenes that we were able to like tweak a little bit, but it was kind of a black box, to be honest. And then that would spit out information into a Google Sheet for us. It was a very smart system, worked well. 
that was a good example of one that where the pricing model just didn't make sense. It scaled way too linearly with with our growth and started to become really expensive. So we had been looking around for a new system, and you know we have this this new data warehouse option, which so far is going pretty well, but still feels very spreadsheet like, and often a lot of the final touches to an analysis will be via an export into a spreadsheet. Yep, hear that time and time again. And it makes a heck of a lot of sense, right? A lot of people know Excel, it's easy to use. And for a whole lot of reason, it makes sense when you're dealing with, you know, certain amounts of data, but it become can become really very quick, right? And almost what makes Excel great is what makes it terrible, which is it has so much flexibility to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know the problem well. <laughs> so, you know, as we get towards the end here, as you know, you've gotten into this business, what is something that you've learned about subscription that maybe you didn't know or didn't appreciate going into it that now you really wish you had known before? So, I mean, I, I think not to be a stuck record, I've probably already touched on both of these points, but one is I absolutely should not extrapolate upon my own preferences. People like to subscribe to things. I've listened to various other podcasts and heard other founders say like subscriptions suck for the consumer. And I, and I fundamentally disagree at this point. We have consumers who love the subscription feature. I personally don't, but you know, there are people who want it. And if they want it, you should build it for them. That would be the main one. Yeah, I would say I would say that's the main learning is, is just that subscription doesn't have to be, you know, considered evil. I think there were some bad actors, as you said, like in the earlier days. But currently, most of the companies, certainly in our direct consumer, consumer packaged goods space, it's largely positive actors who have like big CX teams that really want to not only make sure you don't have a bad experience, but then even turn even the slightest hint of a bad experience into a fantastic experience that keeps you around for life. Um, and, that, and that's really how we think about it is how can we continue to make that subscription feel almost like a family? You know, you're not just joining, you're not just getting a product, you're, you're joining a movement, you're joining a family and you know, you can access anyone on the team very quickly. Not entirely true. Usually it's the CX team as opposed <laughs> to anyone on the team. <laughs> right. But you know, we, we want to make sure that people have that access or at least feel like they're part of something. Yeah. Well that that that's great to hear. And and what I we touched on it, but you know, when subscription did have a bad name and and a lot of good reasons or for very sound reasons along the way. But I think what's important today is really just to meet that consumer where they're at and what, where they want to be met. And, you know, flexibility and offerings, the hybrid model that you guys have, and you're even seeing it in the data point, right, of about 50-50 uptake, that, you know, flexibility is, is their table stakes now, right? The te technology and tools are there and consumers want to have that those options, right? If you're just going to go out there with one offering, you know, one one product one way you're going to leave a lot of opportunity on the table so I, I think you know you guys are certainly heading in the right direction there i certainly hope so but yeah totally agree with what you're saying awesome well john this has been fantastic can't thank you enough for all of the great insights why don't you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about hydrant and maybe get in contact with you if they have more questions yeah absolutely so you find me on linkedin john show and that's the easiest place uh, more importantly you can find the product at drinkhydrant.com or on Amazon or at Walmart nationwide. Those would be the, the best places to find us. If you like subscriptions, the website's the place to go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I know I'll definitely be che checking it out because as I said, need to drink more water and don't like doing it. So something that'll make that a more enjoyable experience, <laughs> I look forward to it. But John, thanks so much for the time today. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.